All right, well, so I'm very, I'm, I'm very excited to be giving this talk series to you because what I'm going to be talking about with you um, tonight and through this whole talk series during Lent is really the heart of what I seek to live myself and what I've received from others, the formation I've been given. Um, so to give, have a chance, in a sense, to systematically over six weeks kind of pull that together in different themes... Um, I'm really interested in what I'm going to speak to you about, so I hope you benefit from this as well. So, um, the whole week, or rather series of weeks, is about finding God in ordinary life. So I've got a series of five pictures here that are ordinary life, different bits of ordinary life. Um, tonight in particular, we're kind of looking at the thing that integrates all of that, sanctifying ordinary life. And I put as the subheading there, God has entered ordinary life by becoming incarnate in Jesus. And as a result, every aspect of ordinary life can be a place where we can find him and can be something that can be brought to him. Okay, so um, if you miss one of the talks or you want to hear it again, if you go to my sermon page, so if you Google Father Dylan's sermons, and if you go up to the link here, you'll be able to find um, the talks, the audio of them, if you want to listen to them again, um, and the text is available in these slides as well. Okay, so I've got an opening question here um, that I asked the question, in which activity can God be found? And I hope you're going to grasp that in all of these activities you can be found. Now, if we focus it in which activity can be found most easily, well, obviously, when you're explicitly focused in prayer, it's most easy to find God. But that isn't the only place to find God. So, tonight I'm going to look at... Um, this is kind of the structure of what I'm going to run through with you. Um, one pivotal example, namely work, and as I'm going to try and explain, work in the broader sense, so even for people retired, um, this still works as an image. A key test of whether we find God, namely the place of joy in our life. Um, and then two motives that need to run through everything we're doing, the glory of God and doing things out of love. So that's kind of the structure of what I'm going to run through tonight. Maybe I should say also, uh, so I'm going to talk for about half an hour and then at your tables have um, 20, 30 minutes of discussion on some questions uh, to, to kind of focus this afterwards. So here I have an image of the Garden of Eden. And the point I want to make to you is that God made this. He made everything. He didn't just make Adam and Eve. He didn't just make the big tree. He made every single detail there. And that means he cares about every single detail. And that needs to be how we think of our, our life and our day. That God doesn't only care about the explicit minutes when I stop and pray to him. He cares about everything else in the day. So how do I treat that total and how do I treat the bits within it 
so that I find God, I bring them to him. Now I'm going to focus this in particular on work um, because that can maybe seem the most difficult thing to do to find God. So I've got an image here of St. Joseph as the carpenter. He's the patron of workers, in many ways a, an obvious role model to turn to. But there are lots of different images there. Students work, kitchen work, ironing work, um, laptop work. And sanctifying. I'm going to use this word sanctifying a lot. The word sanctify literally means to make something holy. So I take something and I make it holy. And any one of those things can be made holy. So start with the question, why is work important? Well, it constitutes most of your day. So if you're a working person, then from nine to eight is eight hours of the day. That's more time than you'd spend with a spouse. That's more time than you'd spend with your children. It's more time than you'd spend asleep. You spend more time working than you do anything else. So if you can't find God there in that biggest chunk of your day, then that's a problem. Another way of looking at it is, is that it's most of your life. If you work from 18 to 65, the kind of standard package, um, that's 47 years. Most of us don't live to twice that. That's basically the majority of your life. Um, so we need to be able to find God in work if we're going to find him in the biggest single block of our life. But why is it problematic? got an image here of Adam and Eve being cast out of the Garden of Eden after they had sinned. Um, and the words in Genesis, be accursed, in sweat and toil you shall labour. So the work, as we experience, is a difficult thing. It comes with sweat and toil. So it seems on one level to be the least likely place to find God. But, and you may have heard this before, but actually that wasn't what it said earlier in Genesis. That actually Adam and Eve were given work before the fall. Work was originally a blessing, a gift to them. There was no one to till the ground and they were told to till the earth and cultivate it. Not as a punishment, but as a task. It wasn't a problem, it wasn't with sweat and toil. It's just the task they've been given. So, the same word for works, um, in Hebrew you have this word adoba, which means both work and worship, where we get the word for liturgy uh, in our language, Greek derivation. Um, so if God's work is his worship, um, if man's original work and worship are the same word, the same concept, then work isn't a nasty thing. Work isn't a problematic thing. So yes, that is how we experience it as a result of sin in the fall. But in itself, work isn't a problem. So in the light of the new covenant, in the light of Jesus Christ, 
working with Christ can be a blessing. So it's an image here of the boy Jesus working as a carpenter with Joseph. Um, he had, according to the Gospel, dates, 30 years of what we call his hidden life, 30 years in which he would have been working as a carpenter. Um, Right, I'm going to give you a quote that I'm hoping you will go away tonight having remembered and that I'm going to repeat it a number of times. This is uh, from Saint, Saint Josemaria. Um, <coughs> sanctify your work, sanctify yourself in your work, and sanctify others through your work. Um, so Saint Josemaria, some of you may know, founder of an organisation called Opus Dei, which is dedicated to sanctifying the laity, not sanctifying priests or monks or, monks or nuns, but sanctifying people living in the midst of the world, believing very firmly that it is possible to find God in the midst of the world. Uh, and in this quote here, particularly focusing that on work, making work holy, so let's break that into three things. First, sanctifying your work. So here we have an image of St. Joseph um, happily working. So what does it mean to sanctify your work? Well, at one level, uh, as I say there, at a natural level, it simply means to do it well. That I see the work and I don't do it poorly, I don't do it just to get it out of the way. I see it as a thing from God a good thing, and I do it well. So St. Joseph there, with whatever he's working on in his bit of carpentry, he does the job well, simply at a natural level. It's part of God's creation. So they're not carelessly, not sloppily. To see dignity in it, that if work comes from God, then it has <coughs> dignity. And that's more obvious maybe in some forms of work than others, but if work comes from God, that in itself it has dignity. The polishing the floor, the ironing the clothes, um, these are all part of what it means to be human, part of being part of God's creation. Therefore there's a dignity in it, a gift in it. And if I see that gift, if I see the dignity that this task has, then I do it well at a natural level. So I was saying at a natural level. There's a, a kind of a, a higher way of looking at it, a supernatural level. To look at it in the order of, of grace, of God. Well, say there, at a supernatural level, to do it out of love. That the motive I have for doing it is out of love. That might be love for God. God wants me to do this task, so I do it well for him. God wants this kitchen to be clean, so I clean it well for him, out of love for him. But often, um, love can also be the motive with our human interactions as well. So, um, a man working at work can be loving thinking of the salary that's going to support his children. 
um, all kinds of household tasks. You can be lovingly thinking of the, the person who is going to be wanting this room to be clean. Um, that love at a human level also can transform how we do the various activities. So St. Josemaria would use this phrase to supernaturalize the natural. So the natural thing, good in itself, from God in itself, part of his creation, I do it well, I don't do it sloppily, but then I raise it to a, a higher order still by adding a supernatural motive, doing it for God, lifting it up. So he would often use this phrase uh, that the Lord Jesus said in a different context about the cross, but about work. When I am lifted up, I will draw all things to myself, Jesus said about himself on the cross. But if he's drawing all things, then that would include our work, uh, our labour. I guess you're all familiar with the concept of making a morning offering to start the day by saying a prayer, offering the day ahead to God. Uh, and this is what we should be thinking of with things like our work. To, um, I'm not going to read through the whole of this prayer, but every morning offering will have the phrase, I offer you. Um, okay, a third aspect of sanctifying your work in terms of the suffering that's there. There's a redemptive dimension, therefore, uh, possible in our suffering, that we see the pain and the drudgery and we unite it to the cross. That if for Jesus the cross is the path to the resurrection and the path to life, then even the difficult parts of our work, we can make part of that same trajectory, part of that same path, by bringing them to the cross, by uniting them to the cross. Um, So that I have some tasks today that's going to be particularly tough, particularly drudge-like. Um, well, I can think maybe of an intention that I'm going to do this, the nastiness aspect of this. I'm going to offer it for so-and-so that I know is in need of help right now. Um, so there's a redemptive dimension in which the difficult aspect of the work I sanctify, redeem, by bringing it to the cross. So three parts to that quote I said. Sanctify your work. That's the first thing we've looked at there. Second aspect. Sanctify yourself in your work. That when you do your work well, it changes you. It sanctifies you, the person doing it. So the Second Vatican Council put it this way. When he works, not only does he transform material things and society, but he develops himself as well. So how do I change myself? By doing things. What I do changes me. How does the athlete become a great runner? By running. How do I become a great worker? by working well. Um, and in this context, if I sanctify my work, then I sanctify myself in doing that. 
So, working well changes me. It forms virtues, habits, um, acts make us what we are, which I think I've already said. So St. Rosemary used to put it this way, he'd say, work is the raw material of holiness. What do you make holiness out of? The raw material that you build it, work. And you may have heard me ask this question in sermons. Uh, I think it's often a useful question to ask. To think, what would my lo- life look like if I was a saint? Because often Christians, when we think about being good, when we think about becoming a saint, think about, well, I know I should be something more. We somehow imagine ourselves being somewhere far away. If I didn't have this terrible job, then I could be a saint. If I didn't have this annoying child, then I could be a saint. Um, Whereas actually, if I was a saint, I'd be still right here, but I'd just be doing what I do differently. It would be the same life, but with God. The same work, but with God. My life as a saint wouldn't be some other life far away. I don't know if you've heard of this phrase, a double life, that the the me at church and the me at work, um, that Christians are often accused of, of this dichotomy in our lives, that I can be really good when I'm at church, I look really good while I'm at church, I might even think really good stuff when I'm at church, but as soon as I'm out of that church environment, when I'm at work, I'm grumpy and disagreeable and whatever, and when I'm at home with the family, I'm... There's a separation of those two realities. Whereas if, back to this example of work, if in the work itself I've made it holy, if in the work itself I've sanctified myself, then there's the very opposite of a double life there. There's a complete unity of life. Okay, the third part of this little puzzle here, um, third part of the quote, sanctifying others through your work. So if you've made your work holy, if you've made yourself holy in doing that well, then that's going to have an effect on the others around you. It's going to sanctify, make holy them as well. Um, So um, in terms of the phrase we use, the apostolate, that work is is the place where you most likely uh, are going to meet non-Catholics and non-Christians. So it's the best place to sanctify others. You can sanctify their work by your example of how to work. And you can sanctify their thoughts by your talk of Christ, your talk of edifying things, your talk that isn't vicious gossip, that isn't bringing people down, um, that we're all called to be apostles. That's where this word apostolic comes from. We've all been sent by the Lord to our different tasks and places in life. And that includes being sent to the people we interact with. 
and we can be the ones who can sanctify them if we've made our work itself holy. So that's all those bits of the quote. Sanctifying your work, sanctifying yourself in your work, and sanctifying others through your work. And what that means, the motive that has to animate all of this is kind of a twofold motive, the glory of God. So St. Paul puts it this way, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do it all, do it all for the glory of God. Um, so if God wants my bit of carpentry, thinking back to St. Joseph, to be a beautiful bit of carpentry, that its beauty gives glory to the Creator, then I do it well, glorifying him and doing it well. And if I love him who first loves me and I want to give back to him what he's given to me, then that motive of love has to be the dynamism that's forcing through why I'm doing everything. Okay, I said the fourth part of the structure of this talk tonight was joy. Uh, it's the test of a saint. So here we have in this image, uh, the light's not quite bright enough to see, but St. Joseph has been smiling in all of these images. He's a happy St. Joseph. He's happy doing his work. And you might know the title of the book um, Frank Sheed published um, in the mid-20th century, but the, the title is Saints Are Not Sad. And it's a, a biography of various saints kind of spelling out this point. Um, so am I a saint? Or is there joy in my heart? So there's a quote there from St. Josemaria. To be happy, what you need is not an easy life, but a heart which is in love. As you all probably heard me say many times, the man in love is a man with joy in his heart. A man in love, you don't need to tell him to be happy. He is happy. He's in love. And if we are filled with love, then we have joy. If I'm working with love, then there's joy in my work. I've got a final diagram here to kind of focus this thought, because um, people often get a little confused on some of these things. So, got pleasure and pain, got joy and sadness. Uh, and if you think of this as a diagram or a, a chart um, with quantities, where on that diagram is God going to be found? Well, let me clarify uh, well, actually, it is an image. Um, how many of you remember the film The, um, the Meaning of Life by Monty Python? Um, Mr. Creosote, this uh, incredibly gluttonous, stuffed man who um, eventually explodes when he has the extra wafer-thin mint. <laughs> he very obviously was full of pleasure, but he was also not at all happy-looking. He was full of sadness. So he had pleasure and sadness. 
Whereas so often we'll have images of saints holding the cross with pain, therefore, but full of joy. So the question is, what are real opposites here? Um, well, joy and sadness are in the spiritual order. So maybe I'll read the, in red there, spiritual. So union with the good, the ultimate good being God, brings joy. Absence of the good brings sadness. That's at the level of the spirit. Um, the other things are at the level of the body, at the level of the physical. So pleasure and pain are about physical realities. If I, as I did last week with these chairs, uh, stub my thumb, I feel pain at a physical level. But that physical pain doesn't automatically determine whether spiritually I'm going to be in a state of joy or sorrow. The pain and pleasure are opposites. They're physical. Joy and sadness are opposites. They're spiritual. But joy isn't the opposite of pain. Joy also isn't the opposite of pleasure. So I can have joy be united with God in pleasure. I can have joy being united with God in pain. But if I'm absent from God, then in pleasure, like Mr. Creosote, I'll be miserable. <coughs> if I'm absent from God, then in pain, I will also be miserable. The four images. Mr. Creosote has his physical pleasure, but he's sad. You could be driving to work and suffering the pain of throwing down traffic. Um, and if you're absent God in that, you're going to be sad. Whereas the saint with the cross, even in pain, is going to be in joy because he's got union with God. And here we have a teenager playing bowling. Now, if he's bowling, he's in a state of, at the physical order, pleasure. And if he's doing that in union with God, if he's finding God in his enjoyment, if he's accepting that as a gift from God and offering it back to him, then he's going to be in joy and pleasure. That joy and pleasure are not enemies. It's whether we have union with God. So the test is, again, joy. The man in love is a man with joy in his heart. So what have I spoken about tonight? Sanctifying ordinary life, and I've addressed four issues. The pivotal example of work, the key test of joy, not pleasure, which is a physical thing, joy, and two motives, doing it for the glory of God, doing it out of love. Okay, so now we have some discussion questions. <laughs>